Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Sally A. from South Jersey, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, June 18th, 2015. Today we are reading from the AA Big Book, and we will begin reading on page 90, the last paragraph on the page, beginning, beginning with, If He Does Not Want. Today's readers are, for the 12 steps, Row M. For the 12 Traditions, Amy W. And our readers will be Janice M., Deborah R., and Deanna B. The reference number for Wednesday, June 17, 2015 is 7737. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Ro M. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, all. My name is Ro M. I'm a compulsive overeater in recovery. The 12 steps of OA. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, had a, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I pass. Thank you, Ro. I will now ask Amy W. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, everyone. Amy W. Uh, from California, compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. 
personal recovery depends upon OE unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such, I never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much, and I pass. Thank you, Amy. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the AA Big Book on page 90, on the bottom of the page where it says, if he does not want to see you, if he does not want to see you, and I'm going to ask Janice M. to begin our reading this morning. Janice? Yes, pardon me. Good morning to you, uh, Sally. This is, my name is Janice, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. If he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. Neither should the family hysterically plead with him to do anything, nor should they tell him about much about you. They should wait for the end of his next drinking bout. You might place this book where he can see it in the interval. Here, no specific rule can be given. The family must decide these things but urge them not to be over-anxious 
for that might spoil matters. Okay, yes, um, if anybody, you know, when anybody told me what to do or forced me, I would do the opposite. So, you know, we can't force anybody anyway. We can't take them, twist their arm, because I had to remember as a recovered sponsor here that nobody, nobody on this earth could make me put this food down. The only thing that did put at the end, many decades, was the pain, the misery that this disease did to me. That's the only, that's the only persuader, you know, um, that w- was enough for me for one day at a time. Because, see, this disease is more powerful than any sponsor, any family member, any doctor, nobody, because I went through all that. I mean, I went through the grant gamut. Nobody could convince me. And, uh, you know, and nobody could, nobody could convince me, and nobody could get me recovered. See, I have to remember that through my experience. Only my higher power gave me this gift. So the family has to know this, too. The family, and I'm, I'm on that side, too, the family of a compulsive overeater. I mean, my son is one, and he sees what I do every day. I mean, he sees me. He lives with me. Um, but I can't convince him what I do. He has to. And if the more the family, including myself, you know, tries to tell them, tell, them, tell my, my son to do this or that, or look what I do, you're going to do this, uh, he could be rebellious. He could be resentful, and this absolutely will spoil um, a better time. Reality is that he has to be convinced himself. Even if I'm an ex-problem eater, um, you know, I can't do it. Only he can do it. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Reva P. Good morning, Reba P. Anyone else? See Larry. Okay, Larry. Larry K. Vasa O. Okay, Vasa O. Nesse. Nesse. Okay, let's Charles go. Charles Ace, can you put me 10th on the list, please? Charles, you want to be 10th on the list. I will do my best on that one. Okay, let's get started. Reba P, Larry K, Vasa O, Nesse, and then Charles. Good morning. This is Reba P, Recovering Compulsive Overeater. Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay. What I wanted to share is this paragraph gets me to reflect on where I'm at in the process of recovery. Um, Here we are in Step 12, working with others. And the line, never force myself upon other people um, is striking me today because at this point um, when I'm thinking or wanting or getting inspired to help somebody else, the first thing I need to do is get my defects out of the way, Um, make sure that I'm not acting on my own fears, my own anxiety. So I've needed to complete steps four through nine. Once my defects are out of the way, then I have step 10 um, every day asking, you know, what is the right thing? What is God's will for me? And I just think it's so neat how 12 comes after 11 because in step 11, I learn to pause and ask for the right thought and the right action. 
And that means that timing is very careful, is important when I do anything. So for sure, when I'm trying to help, um, whether it's another addict or somebody else in my life, like my children, my husband, um, talking now to people in the hospital who are taking care of my mother, um, I relax and take it easy and I wait for God's guidance. Do I need to do something? Do I need to say something? Or do I need to sit still and be and wait? And that is so difficult for someone like me. So it's um, interesting how they give all these details to remind me again and again, this is not about self-will helping. I think this person needs such and such. This is about being divinely inspired as a result of working the previous 11 steps and asking God, who needs help, when do they need it, and how do I do this? Because left to my own self-will, I will just mess it up. And like it says here, if I force myself on people, whether it's my children telling them what to do or what not to do, um, I just get the pushback because it doesn't work. Um, So that's a good reminder for me this morning, and with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Reva P. Larry K., you're up, and Vasa O., you'll be up next. Hi, Sally. Um, this is uh, Larry K., recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Thanks for your service, Sally. You know, w- one of the things that this paragraph does for me is, it, again, it reminds me who's in charge here. And what I've come to learn is that <clears throat> my higher power for me is in charge. And so that that colors everything. It shades everything that I do today. It's, it's really amazing. You know, and coming from uh, um, I'm sorry for the background noise. I'm in an airport. But coming from a, um, you know, from my, uh, you know, working in the helping profession, you know, we're trained, um, you know, to, to apply the knowledge that we're given you know, with great intent to help other people, to, you know, to, to help them perhaps relieve them of their suffering, you know. And so what, 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 it, what it really has meant to me is, you know, coming up in that profession, cutting my teeth, if you will, in that profession, um, it gives us a sense that we're in control and that somehow we are going to bring that person along, you know, and help them. And, you know, sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. And so I'm still, I'm still motivated in, the, in that regard. But see, what this program has done for me is, it, is more than anything else, I realize that I'm not in charge, that about the best that I can do, and this is not a pessimistic, state, pessimistic statement at all. It's really a very optimistic statement. About the best that I can do in my mind is I can lead someone uh, uh, towards in a certain direction you know, and, and where programs concerned, I have to remember that this is a spiritual program. Devoid of a spirit of, of, of the spiritual aspect of this program, it's just what all we're doing is dieting with group support. And I know we hear these kind of statements and sometimes we might cringe. <laughs> Maybe I always did when I felt like, yeah, that kind of captures what I'm doing. But today I know what what got me well was the steps led me to become unblocked from the higher power of my own understanding. You see, God either is or he isn't. 
you know, what what am I going to choose? And it doesn't say God has to be, you know, it's the God of my understanding, the power greater than myself. But God is either is or he isn't. If he isn't, then all I'm doing is I'm is I'm really dieting with group support and I'm just disciplining myself and it's all up to me. I'm in control. I'm in charge. And that's not what got me well. In fact, the more that I did that, the more that I found that I stayed stuck in the quicksand of this disease. And, and remember, this disease is progressive. It would have killed me. There's no doubt. So uh, today, when I, where I'll wrap up, is I'll just say that um, when, I, when I help people, it's to lead them to form their own relationship with a higher power of their own understanding. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry Kay. Vasa, it's your turn, and Nessa, you'll be up next. And good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa. Recover Compulsive Overeater calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And thank you, Sally, for your service. And it's good to be here today with all of you. And uh, again, my persuader was my disease. Uh, no one could have uh, persuaded me. You know, I had enough pain and suffering, and I was just ready to listen you know, and to do and to take the suggestion. But I love this paragraph. It says, um, he does, if he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. Uh, and neither the, the family should. And at the beginning of my program, yes, I looked for compulsive overeaters, you know, and I wanted to share the good story and, you know, that, or the good news that I had found for myself, you know. And some of them wanted to hear it, some didn't, or just heard it and didn't do nothing about it. It doesn't matter, you know. And I have three people today that this, like, there's two family people, not my, it's like a sister-in-law and my niece and then my girlfriend's daughter. I mean, they're just so much into, into the food. I mean, I would just love to bring them, you know. And, uh, again, I keep on praying for God. Please, God. You know, show them the way you look, like you have shown showed me, you know, the way. And uh, there's a lot of people that are struggling out there. And, you know, most of the times I kind of stick with the people that come in the program, you know, and uh, because they're, they're learning, they want it, or some of them want it, they don't, you know, they don't want to do their work. But I worked for this guy for 25 years part-time, and he... He's an alcoholic, and he did put the alcohol down for three years because he was renovating his business, you know. And he, when he did that, he went back to drinking. But I worked in the office, and I would bring my big book, and I'd bring, bring my literature. And every once in a while, I'd forget it. I didn't leave it there on purpose, you know. And I, I remember saying, well, maybe God wanted me to leave it there. Maybe he picked that up, you know. Maybe somebody read it because... He worked, uh, he had a factory, uh, a factory um, making furniture, bedroom furniture. And a lot of the kids over there, they were using drugs and alcohol, you know. And I was the only one woman there, you know. And and I did find some of them were in recovery. I don't know how they got there, but they were in recovery. And I was hoping that my boss would pick it up. And I don't know whether he did or he didn't, but I didn't. I don't know that he never mentioned it about being in the program or anything. But he struggled, 
he struggles with all kinds of physical problems, and he says, you know what? I take all kinds of pills, and my doctors have never asked me if I drink, you know? Thank you. I'll just wrap it up. So he thought he was just so smart, you know, he can drink and not say anything to doctors, or the doctors don't say anything to him. It doesn't matter. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Nesse, it's your turn. Good morning. My name is Nesse R. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, pleasure to be live on this meeting um, uh, this week and got willing for uh, the rest of the summer before my kids go back to school. But I, I read these pages with complete and total awe for the work that these people did, um, the self-sacrifice to which they they went to um, seek out prospects. And, you know, in a way, we're kind of spoiled because what we have to do is um, just go to meetings and people will walk in or people will identify themselves on the line. Um, you know, we don't have to make our rounds in hospitals and sanitariums and, you know, work with uh, with their family. And, you know, they, they, the amount of work that they did just to get a, a prospect is just so inspiring. Um, you know, and I'm thinking, what about the people who don't come into our rooms, the people who don't dial into the meetings, or the people who do dial into the meetings but just kind of sit in the background and don't identify themselves and kind of hope that they get it by osmosis? Like, what is our role there? You know, when I see somebody um, obese um, on, the, um, on the street or whatever, like, do I approach them and tell them, hey, I know you have a disease and this is, this is you know, I used to be 70 pounds heavier and look at me now and, you know, like, what, what, what is our role, you know, even in my own circles, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, friends, family, acquaintances struggling with, a, with weight issues, you know, going on a diet, losing their weight, then putting it back on and more and, you know, um, you know, and I, I struggle with that. I, I don't know. I don't know how to do. I don't know what to do. How to help those people? But I, I remember, you know, it's, it's attraction rather than promotion. At least in my immediate circle, they've seen me um, lose the weight, keep it off. Um, hopefully, they've seen my personality change also. Um, but I know that when I was 70 pounds heavier, if somebody had approached me whether just on the street or somebody that I knew and said, hey, you know, um, this is what I did, I, I would have said, you know what, buddy, back off. Like, I, I have this under control because I, I just wasn't ready. And I guess that, um, you know, when a person is ready um, and willing, maybe they'll say, hey, you know, get the courage up and say, hey, what did you do? And um, that would be perhaps the first sign of willingness that they're ready to do something different than what they've been doing uh, right now. But this is something that I ponder a lot, especially when I read the incredible work these people have done um, as written in these pages. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessie. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? And Charles, I haven't forgotten you. This is Amy. Uh, okay, say it again. Do L. Two, I Melissa C. Melissa C. Monica. Did I hear Monica and I heard Amy G. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? I got two, Melissa C, Monica, Amy G. Is there anyone else? Okay, let's go. Do. And Melissa, you'll be up next. Do well. 
Good morning. This is Duel, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Thank you very much. Um, it says here, if he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. And I was looking at, at this page. Um, this is about the second or third time it's telling you the same thing. In the very beginning, it says, if he doesn't want to stop drinking, don't waste your time trying to persuade him. And then a couple of paragraphs down, it says, if he wants to quit for good, and um, if he would go to any extreme to do so, then you're going to try to help others who will be glad to talk to him if he cares to see you. And, and that is a big if, if the person wants to, if the person is willing to go to any extreme. If the person does not want this, then don't try to persuade him. Don't try to... Um, talk to him or force yourself upon him. Because a, a person, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So he's not going to want what you have unless he sees that he really needs it himself. So the waiting period is about, you know, wait till he hits that bottom. You know, because pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. If, if when he gets sick and tired of being sick and tired, then he'll want to do something about it. There's nothing in the world you can say to a compulsive old reader that's going to make him change his mind. You know, um, the pain of the disease will motivate him. It will bring him into a state of reasonableness. And that's what the big book is giving us clear-cut direction. Is saying, you know, there's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can do. He has to want this for himself. You know, this person needs to want this for himself. And um, all you can do is practice these principles. All you can do is be ready to help where, where, where he's at that point where he needs help and where he's asking for help. And, um, you know, it's very, it's very life-saving because, you know, it's, it's telling us that we can practice principles in the meantime of not being anxious, being patient, praying for the person, um, doing other things in the meantime, and helping other people that really want this, you know. So we don't waste our time with a person that doesn't want this. But we can be helpful in the sense where we can wait and we can be encouraging and we can help them along as long as, you know, we can be encouraging them, but we don't interfere with their process. And their process is that this disease is progressive and it will eventually bring them down to that bottom. And all we have to do is be ready to convey that message when they're ready. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Duel. And Melissa, it's your turn. Monica, you'll be up next. Good morning. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I, I think about the desire to stop and, and how um, that really has to be born within the person that's suffering. I can't give someone the desire to stop doing something um, because I, I know for myself putting it down um, and working the steps was hard work and so my desire had to be so strong to at least get initiated. Uh, the desire isn't enough but without that initial desire um, you know it, it's truly impossible and um, you know and I think about um, how many times people around me out of tremendous love for me, um, had a desire for me to stop, and it didn't do anything. Um, you know, I was thinking this morning about um, maybe five or six years ago, my mother-in-law sitting me down and having a talk, and 
you know, I, I still, I feel like so sick inside and sad inside when I think about it. You know, she told me how um, her mother died when she was a little girl and how my husband lost his father as a very young boy and how painful it is to be a child that's lost a parent and that she was afraid that I was going to be doing that to her grandchildren. And, you know, you would think that that conversation would be enough to create a desire within me to stop, but it didn't. You know, it, it didn't. It, in fact, it made me angry and embarrassed and annoyed, and I turned to the food. And so, you know, I have to remember that um, when I'm dealing with other compulsive overeaters in my life. Um, and, you know, I have to, how can I help the desire in someone else grow? I don't know that it happens in these pleading, heartfelt conversations. I think um, the best thing that I can do to help someone's desire grow is to let the disease run its course and um, to be a model, you know, an example of um, the power of this program. And, you know, and then anybody that has the desire, um, I am so ready and willing and excited to share, you know, the message I have, but I can't look at the people in my life and grow the desire for them. You know, that's God's will. And, uh, and I leave that in God's hands. That's outside of my control. And uh, thank you with that. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa C. And Monica, it's your turn. And Amy, you'll be up next. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T. from Vermont, and uh, so glad to be here this morning. And first of all, I just wanted to say ditto, ditto, ditto to everything do said, because that's I'll just be repeating most of that. <laughs> anyway, the book is being very clear here in its instructions to us. If he does not want to see you, never force yourself. And I've got like three exclamation points after that. Never force yourself. Um, I know personally for myself, you know, I sat around in the rooms for quite a while. And, you know, I could lie and cry and look you in the eye and say, you know, I wanted this, but I wasn't willing, I wasn't ready. And um, I had to get that way before I would do the work. And so as a sponsor... I never force anybody. I don't chase anybody. I'm more than willing to help anybody guide people through the steps if they want to do the work. Many start and a whole bunch don't get through it. I don't chase them because there's somebody else there that does want the help, that is willing to do it. And we all have to reach that point where we want to, you know. I wasn't willing uh, to do some of this stuff. And like has been said, you know, this disease is progressive and the pain brought me there to where I was desperate. I wanted this. I wanted what I saw in the other people. I was finally at the point where I wanted to be at peace and I wanted what they had. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Monica. And Amy G. And Charles, if you're ready, you'll be up next. Amy G. Amy? Okay. She may have had a telephone problems. Charles, are you ready? 
Last call for Amy and Charles. This is Charles Edge. Last call for the bar, huh, Sally? You gotcha. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this is Charles Edge, a recovered visionary. Um, just for today, thank you for all the comments on the line, and thank you, Sally, for your service. Um, the lion cub that got his back broken by the buffalo, that his mother is in, trying to encourage him to get up and keep on going. The baby elephant that's in the desert that just dropped from exhaustion. It reminds me of that. You know, I can lead a a donkey can be led to the water, but it cannot. You cannot force that person to drink that water. You may not want the water. Um, wow. You know, you know, thank God for a second step, right? Thank God for a second step, and thank God for an 11th step that says the intuitive thought, you know, that intuitive thought. Like, even I identify with this, like, even going to meetings that I perceive to be weak, and then when, I, when it's my three minutes, to share, I share about the big book, but in some ways, in some ways that was disgusting, in some ways that was self-righteously not good, right? And, you know, and so encouraged by, by the program of action, but, you know, thank God for the steps, right? Like, like 10, 11, and 12 in particular, 10, 11 in particular, because, you know, I could really look at myself. And, and be like, wow, you know, Charles, man, that wasn't right in how, you know, how you was doing it. You can't, you, nobody could force a big book down your throat. You know, especially being in OA, you know, before coming to the big book, I had to come to believe that this is a program of action. You know, I used to think it was OA 12 and 12, and, 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 and you know, for some people it is, and some people, that works with some people. You know, it's unattractive when, you know, I try to force something down a sponsor's throat or, or anybody's throat. It's very unattractive. So, you know, they got to come to a realization of that they want, they want what we got. And, you know, sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't think nobody want what I got because sometimes I ain't got it. If they, if, if, if they want what I got sometimes, they're transmitting some nonsense. And that's why I got to, you know, if anybody can, if anybody can invent a way to bottle up some willingness and sell it to people, then you'll be the richest person in the world. But just for today, you know, I, I thank God for the willingness and the intuitive thought to be like, you know what, just try to be an example. You ain't got to be a power of example. And, and don't take credit, Charles, for people that, that, that fail in program or succeed in program because the higher power is the one. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Charles. Amy G, and then we're going to move on to the next paragraph. So, Deborah R., get ready. Amy G. Thank you. Thank you, Sally. Thank you for giving me another chance. My call dropped. My name is Amy. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Thank you for your service. I thank you, everyone on the line. You know, I don't think they mince words here. They choose words very carefully. And if you look at these two paragraphs, this is the last paragraph, wait till he goes on a binge. Wait for the end of the spree. Wait for the end of his next drinking bout. It's kind of surprising if you think about it. With a disease that's killing people, compulsive overeating, alcoholism, you'd think we'd be jumping all over the place to get the message out there. But they're saying, wait, wait, wait. Why is it? And I can speak from my own experience, as other people have been saying, that because of this merciless obsession that warps our mind, reasoning and logic make no sense. 
pain was what motivated me, as Dew and others had said. The disease had to do its job. I wouldn't have been able to listen. How many mornings did I have to wake up with the four terrible horsemen of terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair? Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. This is page 151 in the Vision for You, the first page. I had to be beaten and pummeled into a state of reasonableness, that even if it didn't sound logical that what you asked me to do, that the pain of where I was, was worse than moving and trying to do something different. And people have been mentioning about desire. I think most of the people who come into these rooms do have a desire, but it's the willingness afterwards. That's the key. For me, I listen for the willingness to take action. You know, faith is great, but faith without works is dead. And one of the most heartbreaking things for me, I mean, I've been blessed to be in the rooms for a number of 24 hours, like three decades, is to see the same people. And I've seen them for three decades. It is heartbreaking to see them come to the rooms and still not get it. And yet the willingness is there, the desire, I see the crying, I, I've done it myself, the crying, the screaming, I'll never do it again, I'll never stick that Twinkie in my mouth again, I won't do it, please help me, please help me. But when, it, when the rubber met the road, I was unwilling to do whatever it took, I was unwilling to go to any length. And we have to wait, we have to wait for the disease to do its job, but then my job is to be ready, it is to be ready to dive in there and speak what it was like, what happened. I wait for them to say to me, what did you do? Show me, what did you do? And I go and I take it from there. But I have to be willing to wait, and I have to be willing to see the willing, the desire and the willingness and be ready, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Amy G. And Deborah R., would you please read for us, starting at the top of page 91, usually the family, and we're reading two paragraphs, ending with, he may be more receptive when depressed. Good morning. This is Deborah R., and welcome, visionaries. Thank you, Sally. Um, usually the family should not try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. Approach through a doctor or an institution is a better bet. If your man needs hospitalization, he should have it, but not forcibly unless he is violent. Let the doctor, if he will, tell him he has something in the way of a solution. When your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you. Though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. And good morning. Um, good morning and welcome, everyone, newcomers and those that have been here. Um, I am grateful to be able to do service and, and share. Um, and what I read here, um, it is excellent advice. And from my own experience, strength, and hope, I've never really been called by a doctor or asked to work through someone's family. But I can speak to the wisdom of words um, because they make sense. Um, I know of other instances where I've tried to meddle and, and get in there and help 
and it just doesn't work. And I can pick up on that last um, couple lines. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family and or friends. This work of which I'm asked to do to be of maximum service to my higher power is to help another. Yes, prayer about the situation, but just go up as a, one compulsive overeater to another and give of myself and say, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, do you, you know, would you like to talk about it? Um, I, I find it valuable to just talk about myself and where I came from and the, the weird things I did with food, which, of course, being in a way, found out I'm not so weird because um, a lot of you have done it too. And just say, you know, this is how I used to feel. I know how you have felt because I used to get it from the garbage can or whatever. But just kind of put it out there that I'm one of you. And if you'd like to talk, here's my phone number. You know, there's nothing lost, nothing gained. Um, If you want to throw it away, that's fine. No pressure. But here's my number, even if you put it in your drawer and don't pick it up for six months, by the grace of God, I will always be here um, and be glad to um, share, to help you, to support you, to guide you like I was guided. And I promise you it will work if you're willing to work it and you're not ready until you're ready and not ready one minute sooner. And I will pray for you. And um, just want to be a friend in the meantime. Bless you. And perhaps I'll see you at the next meeting. God bless. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. I'm going to jump in here. I'm Sally A., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in South Jersey. And um, again, I want to take another look at this paragraph that we just read, these two paragraphs, starting with usually the family should not try to tell your story. In other words, the family shouldn't go ahead and say, you got to hear this guy, this guy, blah, blah, blah. And I heard that he did blah, blah, blah. It doesn't help. Usually the family should not tell your story. And then they say it again. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. Why would they tell us that? And then he says it again in the next paragraph, right in the middle of the paragraph, he says, Though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. And, you know, what it says to me, what's, what's being, the picture that's being drawn from this is that, look, this family at this particular point, is there anything like my family? They haven't exactly accepted this person exactly as this person was. And so he's probably going to be very defensive. I mean, it seems crazy to me when I think about me at 250 pounds and my family saying, come on, you know, I can't believe, you know, most people when they go through a divorce, they get skinny, mom. My children were baffled. I was skinny when I was married. I gained 100 pounds after the divorce. And this was baffling to them, but it was not helpful to me. It did nothing to help me to have them take a flashlight and point it at my hips and my thighs. It just did nothing to help. I knew there was a problem, and I knew that I couldn't fix it, and 
I had been trying for so long. So all it did whenever the conversation was brought up was it brought shame. It made me feel so ashamed of myself and rebuked and embarrassment. And so it could never be that my family could do anything to help me because I didn't feel that that they could accept me the way I was. And it's only in an environment of acceptance that people can grow and change because they let down their guard. They stop being so defensive and they can finally look, see, and possibly listen because that's what it really does take. It takes listening. And, And one last thing. There's a history with a family. The family's had history of calling names and, and being frustrated and, come on, there's a wedding next month. You've got to do something. There's a history there, so they can't help. There's too much pain involved. It's got to come from the stranger. That's been my experience, my own personal experience. That way there's no pressure because there's enough pressure involved with this problem without the pressure of feeling pressured to lose weight. It can't be done that way. We don't come to to lose the weight. We come to get sane, as we've all talked about. Okay, my time's up. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? Penny C. Matt M. Leah. I heard Penny C. I heard Kim. I heard Leah. Ross Ann. I'm sorry, what is that? Ross Ann. Ross Ann. Matt M. Yes. And Madam, okay, I hope we can get to all of you. Starting with Penny. Penny and then Kim next. Good morning. This is Penny C., recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Um, thank you, Sally. This this paragraph, especially that part with without being nagged by his family, is very meaningful to me. Um, I've been, uh, you know, recovered for many, many years, and my four adult daughters saw what I was like before and what I'm, was, what I'm like now, especially when it came to my body size. And um, now that I'm in a normal body weight, they, they notice, but um, all four of them, all four of my adult daughters have eating problems and weight problems, and one has even... Um, told me that she at times can become bulimic. And and only once I talked to one of my daughters, my oldest one, and addressed the the problem of health issues and she began to cry and say you don't understand and she had a very legitimate legitimate reason that to her you know, made all the sense in the world. And um, in the interest of time, I'm not going to go into that. But I learned very quickly then that it was not my role. My role is to be their mother and and to support their their achievements, their their dreams. And I just wanted, this is the, the thing that I wanted to share most importantly is in speaking to a sponsee one time who also had uh, a daughter with the same problem, and and she suggested to me that maybe what I, the best thing I could do was pray that these daughters of mine would encounter somebody out there like myself, not but not me, who would, 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 
talk to them and lead them to recovery. And just like somebody helped me, just like I found my first meeting with the help of God. And, you know, when they want it, when they want it, as has been said, when the pain gets bad enough, you know, so I can trust God. I can trust my higher power to see to it that the best will come for them. And I just, my role continues to be their mom and only that. And without our past, thank you. Thank you, Penny. Kim, you're up, and Leah, you'll be up next. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm going to drill down on these two sentences. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. And every time I read that line, I think of my home group. My home group is on a Sunday morning in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And we get a lot of people coming off a run, you know, coming off all jittery because they binged all Saturday night and they're, they're crying and they're desperate. And I love it. I love it. it, it it's, that's when people are receptive is when they're desperate, you know. And we've gotten this tradition that, you know, the idea, keep coming back, keep coming back. We just say stay. Don't go away and come back, stay. And we offer to take people through the doctor's opinion. And there's a group of, of, of people who are recovered, who are in the work, and those that are new, that will stay for an hour and will go through that doctor's opinion. You know, one of the joys I have is often when we do that, it might be an hour, an hour and a half later, and I walk out of this little side section and I go into the main room and there's groups of two or three people working with each other. You know, that's, that's the whole idea is that when we can grab them when they're desperate, that's when they're going to be most receptive. And I remember a gentleman in my group made me laugh. I've seen him over the years for 15 years. And he said, you know what? I've been in LA for 15 years and I got to step three and a half. I said, I've been back for four weeks and I'm finishing up my fourth step. What's up with that? You know, because that's the urgency that we need to get. I have another friend that is returning to program again and um, dear friend and I said to someone, well, do you think you can get her to come to, to Sunday morning? And she's like, oh, no, she'll never come here. She likes to go to that Monday night meeting. It's very comfortable to be in relapse in that meeting. And I get that. Because I think to myself, you know, that lovely line on page 160, you know, we create the fellowship we crave, which means so much to me. But I have to say, I always did that. I always did that. When I came in, I wanted to be with just people that were suffering. When I worshipped the food plan, I would create a fellowship around people who ate just like me. When I was in relapse, I would surround my people in relapse. When I wanted to work the steps drunk, I surrounded my people with the idea who wanted the idea of that serenity. So for those of you who are still suffering, think about that. What is the fellowship that you crave? Because we can't give you something if you don't want it. So think about that. Are you, are you just wanting to right now be with those who suffer? Are you willing to do the work? Because that's what we need to do. So what I, I just want to reiterate again, sometimes we tell people, call me back when you have seven days of abstinence. I think it's seven days. I wouldn't need you. I love when someone calls me that they binge last night because they're going to be willing to hear what I have to say. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim G. And Leah M., you'll be our last share this morning as well. Roxanne and Matt, I hope you'll stick around and share on the, on the next meeting. Leah M. Thanks so much. Hi, everybody. It's Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he's under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with 
about being nagged by his family. You know, what makes me think about this is the numerous times I've had over the decades of receiving calls from mothers of young compulsive overeaters, daughters, or young uh, bulimics. They're mothers of bulimics, mothers of compulsive overeaters, mothers of anorexics. And, uh, you know, perhaps a mother gets, you know, my name, maybe they went to a meeting, maybe somebody offered them my name and they'll call and they'll say, you know, my daughter is a bulimic, I know what's going on, you know, my daughter's a compulsive overeater, and it's very painful for them. <laughs> and I understand that. Um, I was that young anorexic bulimic compulsive overeater, uh, you know, <laughs> on the road to death. Um but the bottom line is that, you know, we can't give anybody willingness. And, you know, my conversation with them is that, you know, yes, this program works. Yes, we're here to help them. Yes, we have recovered. Yes, it's true. I no longer live that way and can give you numbers of many people who no longer live that way. However, <laughs> however, your daughter has to want it. Offer her my name. You know, perhaps uh, give give a few meetings, uh, locations, and perhaps at some point they will be in enough pain where they will want this thing. And, you know, we're planting seeds. And, you know, sometimes those daughters do show up and something special happens uh, to people uh, when one recovered compulsive overeater speaks to the still suffering because compulsive overeaters of my type or bulimics of my type when spoken to can't walk away and say you don't understand you don't get me uh they may walk away and say i'm not ready for this thing they may walk away and say i'm not ready to go to the lengths that you have gone to to recover but they can't walk away and say you don't understand so, you know, the disease will do its job when they're stripped of self-esteem, when they're stripped of dignity, when they're stripped of decency, when they're stripped of integrity and honesty, uh, they will crawl their way into the rooms. You know, let's face it, who wants to be a compulsive overeater? No one wants to be a compulsive overeater. It's against the very fiber of our personality type to need help and be enthusiastic about needing help. However, when the disease does its job, we're here. We're here. You know, so it is a painful process for the family, and of course we all understand that. However, you know, recovered compulsive overeaters can give the still suffering <laughs> our blood, our guts, our tears, our experience, but we can't give them willingness. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Leah M. Um, thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Deanna B. please read for us a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only, ending with keep you until then. Deanna B. Thank you, Sally. Uh, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. 
see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you.